Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The show is brought to you by our generous patrons at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. Robots Radio presents the Fallout Lorecast. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast, a place for the Fallout community to come together to explore the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Hey there, Wastelanders and Vault Dwellers. Welcome back to this episode of the Fallout Lorecast. I'm your host, Tom, or Robots, of course. And uh, the beginning of this year has started out with uh, guest episodes. And this is another special guest episode. And it's a little bit different than the last two. The last two, we were talking to patron guests. This week, I am bringing back Ken from Chad, a Fallout 76 story to talk about the Enclave and what is actually going on in Fallout 76 in the Enclave bunker and how that connects to the rest of the games. Ken, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Of course. I know last time we had a, a really fun time talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah, we definitely went over time talking about House, but uh, he was one of my favorite people. Yeah, I mean, I, it was totally worth it, and I'm sure people enjoyed it. So, you know, all the feedback I got was awesome. Okay. And um, speaking about feedback, I guess, well, maybe not. This isn't the best. Uh, I just punched my microphone. This is <laughs> the best segue. But um, your show, Chad of Fallout 76 Story, has been getting a lot of publicity lately, specifically from, started with Forbes. T- tell me about that. Yeah, uh, it was a little overwhelming, to be honest. Um, So Alexander Kane, who's a writer for Forbes magazine and a few other magazines, um, had heard about the podcast um, months and months ago. But because of uh, writing commitments and actually listening through and trying to digest our episodes, um, we talked initially and then things kind of got quiet. So I didn't think anything was going to come of it, which was kind of a bummer. And then just out of the blue, um, around Christmas, he said, uh, the article's almost done. It'll be dropped, uh, very shortly. Um, which was kind of amazing. So, uh, yeah. we had done an interview and he put together kind of just the notes from the interview, uh, talking about the show and the background and, um, how, uh, one of the things that, that was kind of a takeaway, I think, for a lot of people is because of the unique scenario with this game where there there isn't as much of a perceived story uh, mm-hmm. that's that's fed to you or, or um, 
you're kind of left up to make up your own stories, which I think some of the role-playing groups that have popped up around this game, uh, there's been kind of a, a unique environment for them to thrive in. And I think that's maybe one of the things that inspired me to create our own show. But uh, the press was was kind of crazy. We picked up a lot of new subscribers, which I'm eternally grateful for. Um, Bethesda, uh, I finally got on their radar. So they reshared the article um, and it reached out to me. And so that all of that is, is kind of cool. And because of that, um, we got a few more um, articles. One that was um, just before the Forbes one dropped um, that was for Power Up, which is uh, an Australian gaming magazine. And then um, PC Gamer may be doing something. We'll see. That's awesome. That's a, that's a lot of uh, fun stuff right at the end of the year. Like that's a wonderful Christmas present <laughs> as, <laughs> as a content creator to get highlighted yeah, like that. It really was for me, it was kind of, uh, you get in this weird, uh, writers often get lost in their heads. And for me, in a lot of ways, it was validation because I haven't written anything in over a decade. Um, and so that the fact that people enjoy this, uh, is in a, in a paradoxical way, kind of baffling to me, but <laughs> I, 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 I think that's a writer thing, but, or yeah. maybe a psychological thing, but no, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's the, the first time you do anything and, and do you have any success doing it? Sometimes you, you have this imposter syndrome that comes forward as well. You know, this like, Oh, I've been dreaming about doing this and, and people liking it. And all of a sudden people do, and uh, I'm not worthy. I haven't done that before. <laughs> you know, like, like you have to start somewhere. And at some point you, you work hard enough and eventually people like your stuff and you just kind of got to go with it at that point. Yeah. 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 Well, very cool. Um, so we're talking fallout 76 and we're talking specifically the enclave. And another thing I wanted to do before we get into the details on this is uh, remind people that I've been posting more videos and things on uh, YouTube. And I actually put up a video where I consolidated all of the latest information, everything that we know about the Wastelanders update that's coming out into a video. And it is almost at 5,000 views al already in just a few days. It, it, it like ended up in YouTube search and has just like taken off. So um, so super it, excited about that as well. I wasn't logged in because uh, I keep forgetting what my YouTube password is. So I, I whenever I log into YouTube, it's kind of whatever's there. And your video <laughs> keeps popping, popping up. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, which is so it's great for just kind of popping up organically. But I watched it. It was great. Well, thanks. Thanks. So, yeah. So if you're, if you're listening to the show and you are curious at all about what's going on with Wastelanders and NPCs and Fallout 76, and then some of the other improvements they have coming to the game, uh, go check that out. Cause it, it basically brings together all the information we know. And hopefully sometime this quarter we'll get that release. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people diving back into the game. And a lot of people probably picked it up for the holidays very, very cheap because they, you know, we're kind of on the side of, uh, this game is not supposed to be very good. That's what the press tells me and, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I think it might be worth checking out again. I know there's there's always going to be some bugs in it. I mean, it's a Bethesda game based on the same engine they've been using. But that said, there's some really cool story stuff. So let's let's go into one of the story bits that a lot of people miss. Even people who have been playing this game since release have played through a lot of the story quote quote content in the game and spoilers at some point you get into an enclave bunker and you find out that guess what the enclave has some stuff going on in Appalachia and there's some some shadiness going on there and a really spooky looking robot uh, voice 
<laughs> machine, what computer, I guess we'll just call it a computer modus <laughs> and all that stuff. But um, Ken's going to take us on a little journey here into what's going on with the Enclave in Appalachia. So take it away. I'll preface this by explaining. I think uh, the reason that a lot of people lost what um, is a really amazing and compelling story of what happened in the bunker is unlike previous fallout games where you actually have NPCs that you can kind of focus on that feed you the story and you can kind of engage with, um, this is kind of left to terminal entries and hollow tapes that most people in game, you know, will pick them up. And especially if you're running with a group of people, you're not going to sit there and listen to a hollow tape in one ear while people are talking to you in the other. Um, so I think that the pacing and the structure of this has maybe lent itself to, to people missing what the, the storyline is. Um, and some of the drama that went on inside that bunker that had lasting repercussions, not just in Appalachia, but around the world. Um, the storyline in and of itself is kind of cool. And I'll give, uh, someone took the time to assemble all of the, the hidden data and lost hollow tapes in the bunker, uh, in chronological order on YouTube. And, oh, nice. uh, yeah, you can, uh, you can link that for people in the, in the show notes, but if yeah, you guys, definitely. If you guys love listening to holotapes, uh, these are done really well and you can listen on, on, on everything that we're going to talk about now as acted out by the original voice actors. And it's really kind of cool stuff. So now we're going to go back through the mists of time uh, to the very <laughs> beginning. <laughs> Actually forward in the future, but back in, in the time of fallout. But it's yes, something like that. <laughs> All right, picture yourself, Sicily, <laughs> nineteen. Um, so here we are. It's it's the eve of the Great War. Um, a, a few major players are going to um, come into being in this little story that we'll talk about. But first, let me paint you a picture of where we started. So in March of 2077, um, it became clear that the world was was headed towards an inevitable nuclear confrontation. Um, you had Robert House, my hero, uh, had put himself into his uh, chamber and was now operating as an AI. You had Stanislaus Braun, who's, who's kind of gone off uh, and is ready to climb into his own virtual bunker. Um, the president of the United States uh, and other members of the Enclave had retreated to the Poseidon oil derrick in the Pacific Ocean. Um, and if you've played through any of the, the first Fallout games, I unfortunately never did, but uh, I'd loved reading into this. Um, the Poseidon oil rig was the very last oil rig in the world. Uh, it was the last accessible underwater oil field that was in the Pacific Ocean. And after being constructed there, the Enclave took it over essentially and began developing what was going to be a, a staging platform, uh, not just to continue war against China, uh, but also eventually retake the continental United States after the inevitable war. Um, so the March 2077, um, the president leaves the White House, the press corps is, is disbanded, shut down, um, and it's just the essential staff of the president's cabinet left in Washington, D.C., kind of running the government while the president is, is pulled back to the Poseidon oil rig. 
One of the things that was constructed was an early warning system that essentially, if it indicated nuclear strikes imminent, that it would warn the cabinet, which would trigger the vaults to close. Uh, the cabinet will be brought to the White Spring, where a bunker had been constructed underneath its its own enclave vault. Um, unfortunately, that system was tampered with. And one of the interesting things with that tampering is the um, Secretary of uh, State and let me see here it was the Speaker of the House, I believe. Yeah, the Speaker of the House, Attorney General, and the Secretaries of Commerce and Defense were actually removed from the list. It's unclear who exactly did that, but it's indicated that it was Enclave um, who began manipulating what was going to be kind of a long game post-war. Um, the Secretary of the Interior and the Treasury, um, when uh, on the day of the Great War, were evacuated into the White Spring Bunker. Um, they were not named and they haven't been named in the lore. Even the last president of the United States uh, is unnamed. We only know that the, the first um, two letters of his given name were just D.I., um, so unfortunately we don't even have what his name was, but, or her name, um, probably Dick <laughs> yeah. with Dick, president Dick, the last president of president the United States. Dick. <laughs> so you have, uh, secretary of the interior and the treasury in the white spring bunker. Also the secretary of agriculture, whose name was Thomas Eckhart. And he very quickly, um, you're going to identify is one of the most notorious villains in fallout history uh it's going to become clear as to why so um once now inside the white spring bunker um the construction of it mirrors that of an actual congressional bunker that exists in in real life at the resort in west virginia uh whose name escapes me what uh do you remember the name of it uh no i don't i don't I don't either. Yeah. The, the real resort, um, White in West Virginia. Yeah. It's not the name White Springs. Um, it has a different name whose name. Oh is yeah. Space. Yeah. The, um, uh, ah, crap. Yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, it's okay. I'm sure somebody's anytime this happens on a podcast, somebody, I, somebody in the world somewhere is yelling at their radio. I know you're going to be, I'm not from West Virginia. Don't crucify me. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's kind of a cool location because you can apparently tour the, the real, world bunker. Um, and when you're there, it's actually kind of cool. I've seen fan photos of, of identical. The, the white spring is to its real world counterpart. Um, so beneath the white spring resort, this bunker was designed to be a congressional bunker. It was called CB002. And what is unique about this bunker is that it was designed to be the hub of the enclave network with the oil rig um, being one of its spokes, Raven Rock being another. Um, it, it really was designed to be where the president was supposed to have gone. Why he was brought to the oil rig as opposed to this bunker isn't entirely clear. Um, and here's where it, it gets interesting. Um, 
underneath the White Spring, they installed an AI that was called Modus. It was designed uh, to be a little bit different than the Zach system that was installed at Raven Rock. Uh, it was completely custom built and was designed to oversee the entire habitat, complete automation. So it would have control of both interior, uh, everything there from robotics to automation assembly, uh, as well as the ability to connect to outside resources, uh, like the Kovac Muldoon platform that we'll talk about shortly, as well as being able to talk remotely to Poseidon, to Raven Rock. And the bunker was originally designed to house up to 200 dwellers. Um, however, who ended up in there was really a, a fraction of that. So, um, side note, yeah. is there a reason why they keep designing... AI to be so creepy. <laughs> hey, this thing is going to control the bunker and everything else that we need in order to do what we do. Let's make it super creepy. Also, I think you can blame 2001 a space odyssey. Um, <laughs> in fact, there's, here's a weird funky bit of trivia. The reason that female voices are often used for AI is because of 2001 a space odyssey. Really? Um, yeah. I've also heard that psychologically they um they actually grab your attention more. That could very that, well be, but yeah. There, there's like a human response to uh female voices like coming over, I don't know, disembodied female voices in that they grab <laughs> our attention more than male voices do. And maybe that's just a response to, you know, your uh, mother or something like inherently deep in our psyche. I, I don't or know. Or maybe if deep down if you're just thirsty, you're you're like, oh, female voice, what, what? <laughs> yeah, like the little baby in you, in your psych yeah. psychology somewhere. It's still, yeah, yeah, I don't know. The, uh, the facility, uh, so again, it was designed to connect to Raven Rock, Presidential Ring, and other, be the nucleus. Um, the other key component uh, of the Enclave power base in Appalachia was the Kovac Muldoon platform, which was a secret satellite. It was designed to stay a geostationary orbit above Appalachia and was really um, capable of seeing everything, monitoring communications, taking photographs, uh, and communicating with MODIS below. So, aside, another side note. Kolvac Muldoon is a badass name for something. I think we have to make another character in Fallout 76 named Kolvac Muldoon. <laughs> Go on. It reminds me of Muldoon from Jurassic Park. Clever girl. Clever girl. I'm Kolvac. Kolvac Muldoon. Oh, don't mess with that guy. Plus, when you do the Enclave quest, the voice of the Kovac Muldoon platform is just so creepy. When yeah, you, again, creepy. When you listen to it, it's 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 even more terrifying than the jilted speaking pattern of Modus. Creepy, creepy stuff. Somebody, <laughs> so one of their programmers. Here's what. Here, okay, here's my theory. One of the programmers was like a really smart dude who was like, "These people are messed up, and they're evil." And so I'm just going to program the voices a little bit weird so that they come across super creepy because that's what they deserve. <laughs> <laughs> and that was their that was their their legacy into the world. Who knows? Nobody knows who this person was, but they they messed with the voices. 
I mean, I have to look and see, but you would think that, uh, in fact, you know what, let me take a look at that now because now I kind of want to answer that question myself. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I mean, obviously an out of world explanation is yes. It's interesting to have the, you know, them be creepy and, and stuff. It's, it's the same, the same kind of justification for, you know, like, in a movie where the bad guys, I mean, I mean, you could take anything from star Wars to whatever, you know, like why did the bad guys always have like red lighting in their base? It's like, (laughs) because, well, the answer is because to the viewer that creates this creepy ambiance, but in the actual system of human beings having to work in the place, it's not particularly pleasant work environment you know like somebody designed it that way that's also <laughs> right. probably it's probably not great for your eyes you're slowly going blind where you've got this creepy voice in your ears all the time right yeah like it doesn't make sense in the world like oh that person's so evil they were also in charge of decor <laughs> like what yeah the one thing that i quickly wanted to look up actually because it, it popped into my head as an actual question is who developed modus if that was uh, something Robert House was behind or not, but it actually there's there's nothing in lore to explain who who built it. Yeah, I would be surprised if that. that I mean, who knows? Sometimes that details there, but yeah, yeah I'd, lo- I'd love to find that out at some point. Um, so the bunker, in and of itself, uh, connected to the Kovac Muldoon platform, they anticipated post-war that there was a a possibility that the chain of command would break down, depending how how badly infrastructure was damaged, how many soldiers were lost, and so the Kovac Muldoon platform also had the ability to promote people in a way that would be recognized by MODIS um, and any of the military systems. So the Enclave quest, when you go through it in Fallout 76, you have to work on promotions to become a general with a Kovac Muldoon platform, awarding commendations for some of the silly stuff that you do (laughs) to get awards. just as a way of, of kind of working around the system that was built in place. Right. So now we come to uh, the people that walked into the bunker that day. And first I want to tell you about the, the secretary of the treasury. Um, he was an essential figure as far as the, the chain of command went. Um, once the, uh, bunker lost the ability to contact the Poseidon oil rig and Raven Rock. It was believed that there was a possibility that the president was dead. So immediately the treasury secretary prepared himself to be acting president and leader of the enclave in the bunker per the uh, constitutional chain of succession. So he was ready to assume the reins. Um, he didn't last that long, however. Mm-hmm. Um, he was executed <laughs> in the bunker very shortly after the door closed. Um, he would be the very last Secretary of the Treasury in United States history. Um, other residents of the vault uh, were a, a bunker were informed that the the secretary had died of quote radiation poisoning. <laughs> Of course. Please, please don't pay attention for for bullet holes, uh, 
completely ignore, you know, laser. That radiation was huge. It, yeah, it, it was, blew it holes was, through his chest. It was big radiation. Big radiation. Watch out. The world is different now. So um, you have the, the the Treasury Secretary taken out of the equation. Um, the other interesting thing that happened is uh, as soon as the door closed, the Enclave immediately took control of the bunker as they were always intending. And they quickly separated out any of the, the House of Representatives, the, the congressmen, senators, everyone who had come into the vault that were not Enclave were similarly executed, just immediately done away with. Jeez. Yeah. So the only people left alive in the vault now are just strict Enclave personnel. Um, the other key figure uh, that I wanted to talk to you about was an agent called Jefferson Gray. And Jefferson Gray was a high-ranking Enclave agent that worked as a black ops operator. Um, Pre-war, he had kind of a wide range of missions that he went on, um, most of which were in Asia, doing a lot of really shady, underhanded stuff for the Enclave, um, possibly manipulating the world to the point of war, uh, since the Enclave was really hoping for that to happen. Right, Um, right, interesting. I bet he has a cool guy voice with a name like Jefferson Gray. I mean, I'm, I'm going off on this whole cool name thing. I bet he talks like, hey, this is Jefferson Gray. What's <laughs> up, everybody? I bet, I bet that's how he talks. <laughs> don't, don't mind me. I'm not an undercover agent or anything. <laughs> I like how if someone's supposed to be really badass, we immediately go shaft. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Like, like, like yes. Agent totally. Gray, damn yeah. right. Yeah. Damn right. <laughs> Can you dig it? Yeah, totally. And then he gets all the ladies also. Because his he name's does. freaking Jefferson. Like, if that's your first name, Jefferson, like Jefferson, it's like Jeff is not short for Jefferson, right? That's like. Only, only cool people have a last name as a first name. Right, right. And you know he's not truncating that to Jeff. He doesn't right, go around absolutely. going like, hey guys, I'm Jeff, Jeff Gray. <laughs> no, he's Jefferson Gray. Right. Do you mind if I call you Jeff? Uh, do you mind if I shoot you in the face? Do you okay. mind if I put a, a hole in your face with my big radiation gun? Yeah. Do you mind if I put a cap in you? <laughs> yes. He, like, he's, he's a badass. You know, can you dig it? Yes. That's Jefferson Gray. Right there. Gray. Jefferson Gray. We need, a little, <laughs> we need to do a, a sideshow about the adventures of Jefferson Gray. <laughs> <laughs> pre pre bombs dropping this is our this is our new podcast well he uh, you know everything that happens he he is one of the major players and that he he quickly becomes the the red right hand of thomas eckhart that we'll be talking about um so i'm just introducing some of these these cast of characters that are getting involved so when the bombs drop gray was already in the white spring bunker with several generals and also the Secretary of Agriculture, Thomas Eckhart. So they knew this was coming. They were fully prepared. They were already in there, ready to roll. Um, You have also, uh, aside from Agent Gray, you had a major, and I'm going to butcher this name. I think it's Ragnar's Dadir. It's R-A-G-N-A-R-S-D-O-T-T-I-R. All one word? Instead of Ragnarok, it's Ragnar Stadir. 
Um, Whoa. Yeah, that's oh, a, no, it's, that. a <laughs> it's, it's a brutal name to say. Uh-huh. Uh, and he was also an officer in the Enclave. Um, he was an Enclave affiliated member that was in the U.S. Um, armed forces before the Great War. After the bombs dropped, he out, uh, he survived inside the bunker along with Eckhart and Agent Gray. Um, he was very loyal to the Enclave cause um, and ended up surviving uh, Thomas Eckhart's purges of, of some of the interior staff there um, and quickly would go on to become Eckhart's chief of recon operations and recruitment. We'll come mm-hmm. back to him. My theory is he survived because nobody could pronounce his name. So they were like, all right, here's the list of people we need to off. And then they would got to his name and they're like, eh, skip it. Or maybe he's just one of those people that you take, he, you ask what his name is. He's like, Ragnar Daskadir. And you're like, oh, let's, uh, let's leave him alone. He's, he's yeah. emo. He's got something going on there. He's cool. <laughs> he clearly gave himself that name. All right. Scares, next. Scares me a little bit. Um, the last key figure that we're going to talk about actually wasn't in the bunker, but she's going to become incredibly important. Ellen Santiago was a colonel, and she was the leader of one of the, a large unit of the U.S. Armed Forces that was stationed in Washington, D.C. on the eve of the Great War. So back in the Capital Wasteland, as it would become, uh, the bombs started dropping. She led her unit out of Washington, D.C., and came all the way down to Appalachia, um, leading her men successfully. In fact, only five men were killed along the way of all of her soldiers, um, and they showed up on the door of the Washington um, Congression, uh, the White Spring Congressional Bunker. Um, she's going to become very critical that, uh, and especially what becomes the the end battle inside the bunker. So these are some of the key figures. Now let's talk about Thomas Eckhart. So um, it was an American businessman. His father was Joseph Eckhart. Um, Thomas Eckhart, his son, by the age of 16, um, had become really polarized uh, against China. Meanwhile, his father, on the other hand, had become jaded with the the U.S. supremacy and capitalism. His father ends up just leaving in the middle of the night and defecting to China. So mm. now you have uh, a 16-year-old boy whose father just up and abandons him to go to, <laughs> to China and just kind of uh, become a communist. Yeah, in, so, in that world, with that kind of attitude towards it. Exactly. And you have, um, equating it to the United States, this is, this is kind of uh, McCarthy-era paranoia. So anything communism, people were, were seen about. And um, the 16-year-old Thomas Eckhart had grown up in this kind of culture, shaping him. Uh, his father does something that would carry a great deal of personal shame to the family uh, on top of creating some daddy abandonment issues. <laughs> so <laughs> all of that uh, is, is shaping the person he would become. What could possibly go wrong? Of course. So he goes into politics, um, working his, his way up. Um, he was very vocal in eradicating communism 
once and for all, rooting out anyone who supported communism, um, bringing conspiracies to light. He became um, really well known in Washington and under the last president was selected to the position of Secretary of Agriculture, uh, which of all of the, the kind of <laughs> badass cabinet positions that you think of, uh, the Secretary of Agriculture doesn't sound like a fantastic one. No, I, I don't know that there's a whole lot of communist agenda in agriculture. <laughs> Those tomatoes are supporting China. They're, They're clearly them. red. <laughs> Better red than dead. <laughs> If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. Hey friends, just wanted to do some housekeeping here in the middle of the episode real quick. I hope you guys are enjoying my conversation with Ken. He always brings some really cool information to these shows. And if you haven't checked out Chad, a Fallout 76 story yet, go check it out. It is hilarious and such a fun time. As I've mentioned before, I am growing our YouTube channel and you can find it easily. Just search Robots Radio YouTube. It'll show up. I am taking some of the lore sections of some of these episodes and putting them in video form on the Internet for you to enjoy. So you can always go back and watch them that way as well. Plus, I have some newer episodes about things like things to expect from Wastelanders and other content up there for you guys to enjoy. It's it's going to be something I am contributing to every week along with the podcast. So uh, go check that out. Subscribe to the channel and give me some thumbs up on some of those videos that you like. It, it really does help get this content content out in front of everybody else. I'm trying to speak quickly in order to get through this section because this episode's already pretty long. Um, also, if you are interested in helping the show in some other ways, our Patreon is continuing to grow. Even at $1 a month, you get ad-free episodes. So check that out, patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. You can look at all the different tiers and there's a whole bunch of stuff you can get for just helping support the show, including joining us at the end of the month for our patron-only conversation. And speaking of conversations, if you are interested in hanging out with the rest of the community, we are growing amazingly quick over on the Discord channel. Again, you can search Robots Radio Discord. That link will pop up really quick for you or just look in the show notes. And every day, more, more and more and more people are joining the Discord and having awesome conversations and just hanging out, having a good time. So there's lots of things you can do to plug in. I also stream at twitch.tv slash robots radio. Uh, I haven't been doing it as much lately, but I'm definitely going to jump back into that once I get a little bit more time. Um, that's the place I go when I just want to hang out with you guys and play some games and have some fun conversations and just spend some time with the community directly. So that's another place you can plug in. And that's about it. Uh, other than that, if you want to help out the show in other ways, drop a review on whatever podcast you're listening to this on. That was a weird sentence. All right. I'm going to let you go and I'll talk to you guys more after this little break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. Uh, yeah, so he he's now the Secretary of Agriculture. Um, he is recruited into the Enclave and quickly uses the position of Secretary of Agriculture to transform what that department was um, and instead started channeling funds from the Department of Agriculture into the construction of the White Spring Congressional Bunker. Mm. So he oversaw the the construction of it. Um, it was kind of of his pet project um, with the the money funneled invisibly out of the department um, directly into the construction of that bunker. Um, Unfortunately, the the time, money, and construction of that scale had it was kind of hard to hide. Um, and another figure, Appalachia, not relevant to what happens in the bunker, but um, in the main quest, you find out about Senator Blackwell um, and his support of the free states, and he, in a lot of ways, was was um, kind of a double agent early on. He found out about what the Enclave was doing in the construction of this bunker, um, but for whatever reason, did not blow the lid off the project or have enough time to before mm. war broke out. Um, he was one of the few people in the bunker, Eckhart, uh, once the bombs dropped. All of the personnel who arrived that I said, now he's, he's executed, got rid of them. Um, they find out that the connections to Raven Rock and the president himself at control station Enclave, which was the Poseidon oil rig, has been severed, um, either intentionally uh, by exterior forces um, or simply due to the, the devastation of bombs. So the hard lines were cut. They had no external communication, didn't know what was going outside. Um, Eckhart... Um, was obviously not next in line of succession, but considering he built the bunker, it was his baby. He immediately seized the opportunity to, to not only, um, lead the ultimate fight against communism, um, (laughs) but also to, to position himself in power. So after gathering the survivors in the room, he informed them of the unfortunate death of the Secretary of the Treasury, who uh, who would not become president due to his radiation sickness. 
uh, to death and mm -hmm. then announced himself as the new leader of the Enclave and also next in line um, pre-war for rules of succession. He gave those people a choice to use the White Spring Bunker to continue the war against communism and enemies of America um, or to, to, um, to simply leave China alone and then focus. So he gave the people a choice. Um, his supporters ended up uh, following him blindly, of course. And everyone they didn't else, want to get big radiation in them. <laughs> that too. That's usually that a good is, way to convince people to do what you want. <laughs> if you're not about retaliating against China and continuing this, please step to the left for radiation poisoning. One <laughs> um, of the people that, that stood up against him and believing that continuing this war w would be counterproductive was a General Swafford. Um, he had no plan to really continue reigning war against China, considering the world had just ended. And right now is about rebuilding and survival. Um, Eckhart was really hoping that the general would be on his side, but he obviously was not. So Eckhart left the conference room, asked Modus to seal all of the opposition inside and to pull all of the oxygen out of the room. <laughs> so now, um, You've got non-enclave people who showed up that were summarily executed that day, uh, the day of the Great War. You've got um, enclave personnel who were uh, against his complete, insane post-war, perpetual war against China that he offs. Now he's left with just 47 people uh, to try and to continue his agenda. He had a real problem there. Um, because he had one general left. And in order to gain access to the bunkers in Appalachia, uh, or the silos rather, um, he would obviously need a general. The one left alive um, was suffering from radiation sickness that was not Eckhart's doing. And it was not big radiation sickness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> Um, so Eckhart was, was concerned about his well-being. So he instructed Modus to have eyes on Harper, uh, which was the general that was survived constantly. Um, so now he's, he's beginning to position finally his idea of, of striking back against China, the nuclear arsenal in Appalachia. Uh, capable of just raining hellfire down on China. The problem um, was was gaining access to the silos, um, which couldn't be done uh, because the the DEFCOM system was automated. Um, in the game, you find out that he, the DEFCON one um, to be able to access the silos only happened because of things that happened before Reclamation Day. Um, the DEFCON level, for whatever reason, hadn't been raised um, mm. after the Great War. It returned to a normal position since it looks for immediate threats in Appalachia. And after the bombs finished raining down, there really wasn't any. You had survivors out there building. There was no real uh, problems out there. Even super mutants didn't exist. 
you had um, some of the other radiated creatures that were a problem, but it was nothing that survivors like the responders couldn't handle. Right. Um, yeah. So at this point, he began dispatching agents out of the bunker to see to see what was out there, um, and they ended up finding the responders who would become a natural source of new recruits to bolster up the, what was left, uh, just the 48 people that he had. He needed more numbers. So they started recruiting some of the responders um, to try brainwashing them into becoming Enclave members. Um, Eckhart knew that, that uh, torture wouldn't really be effective. So they used some brainwashing techniques to bring people in under their ranks. Um, well, you know, you've got a really good ideology when, when you can't just convince people through rational reasoning to join your right. sides. You have right. to brainwash them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, the major, major Ragnar's good ear. Let's just call <laughs> uh-huh. him major R or major, major, Ragnar. major Ragnar. Yeah, sure. Major Ragnar Lothbrook. Um, <laughs> He was the one that was leading uh, scouts out into the surrounding area to um, really do some scouting out, look for resources. They found out that West Tech, uh, the FEV research, survived the nuclear blasts. Um, and that also the Chinese infiltration base at Mama Dolce's um, was still operational and untouched. He had dispatched Agent Gray to secure that location um, and lock it down to prevent the responders from getting in there. Um, the scouts also found out that the new election system that was still in place, the computer system, when you're out wandering around, um, you find the ballot boxes everywhere. Right. Yeah. The ballots, the election system was completely automated and it was designed to elect the next president. Um, he didn't need to formally declared president of the United States, but, um, uh, call it ego, call it hubris. He ended up using agent gray to hack that system in order to allow Eckhart to become the next president of the United States. <laughs> the world has fallen apart, but we still need this to look official. <laughs> right. The yeah. world has fallen apart, but I, I need these political ads. <laughs> We need all of the people out there who are still out there to vote for me, or at least look like they're voting for me, even though they're just trying to survive right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, in the science wing there, they started experimenting with mutation serum, um, which is something that you get the great pleasure of enjoying the game. Uh, I particularly love marsupial because once you can jump around like Super Mario, you'll never stop. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. The mutation serums, uh, as they're experimenting, um, created some some interesting and unintended side effects that we'll talk about. Um, one of the interesting things that happened in late 2082 was a group of soldiers led by um, Ellen Santiago that I had mentioned had shown up at the front door now. Um, they had heard about the congressional bunker, came from Washington, D.C., and arrived. And uh, Eckhart was thrilled because he would have hardened soldiers at his disposal that would be able to help him enact his plan of revenge against China. Um, Santiago, in particular, was um, 
furious at China and wanted revenge. So he quickly was able to convince Ellen to join his cause. Um, at this point, he, he had enough of a power base to begin moving his plan forward. They started rapidly experimenting with mutations, um, working on accessing the nuclear arsenal, and ended up creating the first Scorch Beast accidentally when irradiated bats were um, subjected to some of the biochemical experiments that they had been doing in 2081. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to stopping the research, Eckhart looked at them as an opportunity. So he decided to have them relocated to controlled habitats. Agent Gray had secured the abandoned AMS mining complexes. And so the, the bats that were now rapidly mutating into what would become these scorch beasts was moved to AMS. Um, Eckhart kept all of that quiet. So none of the other officers knew these kind of crazy experiments that were going on. Good guy. Um, Such a good guy. Yeah. A real, a real nice guy. Real American hero. He was, he really was. (laughs) So in, uh, in January, 2083, um, after reprogramming the election machines, um, he becomes president of the United States. Um, that was the last feather in his cap. And now that he was formally president, he started asserting his authority more including over Colonel Santiago, um, who he began pushing perhaps a little too hard. And while she was really um, gung-ho on getting revenge for losing her five men and seeing Washington blown off the face of the earth, um, she began to really question her decision to to side with him without having a full awareness of what was really going on in that bunker. Um, in 2083, General Harper died of heart failure through the radiation poisoning. Um, Eckhart, actual, actual radiation poisoning? Yeah, actual radiation right. poisoning. Uh, he was the, the last general that was left alive and was really key to Eckhart's plan. He wouldn't be able to use any of the warheads without a living general. Um, if you listen to the hollow tape, the blind panic in Eckhart's voice um, when Modus is letting him know that General Harper was dead uh, is, is palpable. Um, mm. In fact, he, he just starts screaming for Modus to continue trying to resuscitate him, even though Modus knows it's completely useless. Um, it's important to note too, when you actually listen to some of these hollow tapes, this is a fully operational modus pre-war, um, that, uh, not pre-war, but, um, that, uh, was your visit. Yeah. That was fully operational and was undamaged in every way. The speech pattern is, is normal and not, uh, like you want to go get some popcorn, uh, wash the car while you wait for him to finish a sentence. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a normal speech pattern and he has more personality um, and is a little more amiable and less creepy. <laughs> Interesting. You finally beat him. He gets uh, jaded with time. <laughs> that and, and being severely damaged by, by yeah, what happened towards right. the end of all of this. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it was more the damage, but it's kind of funny to think of an AI getting more <laughs> jaded over time. So Eckhart uh, is beside himself. His, his plan is, is falling apart. And then he has an inspiration. 
he realizes that the Kolvac Muldoon platform could be utilized to promote someone through the ranks to automatically get them promoted to general. And so he convinces Ellen Santiago to head out to Camp Kentuck and earn an automatic promotion to general by exploiting the same kind of automated system that gave him the presidency in the first place. Um, she goes out there and does the same kind of quests that you go on to get a, uh, to become a general. So she finally, in the end, becomes a general. But um, aside from already becoming jaded towards Eckhart and really questioning her decisions, for someone who's as decorated um, as she was with some of the deeds that she did, getting those stars um, artificially was something that really disgusted her. Um, and it, it really started to, to turn her against him. Yeah, like, hey, this isn't legitimate. Maybe right. this is bad. Yeah, it's, it's the ultimate <laughs> stolen valor. It's just basically milking an automated... Yeah, totally. Um, so Eckhart, of course, was thrilled. His plans were back on track. He has General now in his pocket, so now he can access the silos. Um, they had to get the nuclear launch code. So they don't have nuka crypt like we do to just kind of mm -hmm. <laughs> to cheat our way around getting codes. So um, he dispatched men out to try and, and find the pieces of the launch codes that were, were scattered amongst Appalachia uh, on the aide-de-camps carried on their backs. You had to, to get the key fragments um, and then finally get a nuclear key card out of the cargo bots. Um, the problem with all of this is even once he secured all of that, the DEFCON system was automated. They tried hacking into it. Agent Gray tried. There wasn't a way for them to get it to DEFCON 1 to allow the silos to unlock. So he and Agent Gray came up with an idea. Using the bots that were in Mama Dolce's, they started to reconstruct some of these um, annoying little blender robots that you run into in the game, the liberators, the ones that um, mm -hmm. shout things to you in something that's barely Chinese. <laughs> right. Um, as well as the Huntersville super mutants that have been in stasis, freeing them, um, allowing them to kind of roam free. And then also to release the scorch beasts, the bats that have mutated in AMS, just letting them out. Um, and basically unleashing hell upon Appalachia. Doing all of this would trick the system into believing that an invasion was underway and it would go from uh, the DEFCON status all the way to DEFCON 1. Hmm. So he accomplished it. Um, they put all of this out there. You know, the responders are, are dying. <laughs> You've got the Scorch Plague. Um, it and all kind finally, of comes back to them, yeah. It does, yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, as all of this was was getting ready to kick off, uh, Major Ragnar explained what was going on to Santiago, who was unaware of everything that was about to happen, and having stepped out into Appalachia and seeing what the responders were doing seeing that life was returning, that civilization was returning, knowing that they were going to destroy all of this, kill all of these people, was something that she was 
really against, on top of the fact that Eckhart also took the opportunity to assassinate Senator Sam Blackwell, who had survived the Great War. Um, So he had sent Agent Gray out to assassinate him. Um, Agent Gray was killed in that exchange, but uh, not before killing Blackwell. So Interesting now we come, stuff. Yeah, yeah so now we come to the, the final moments of the vault. <laughs> so now he has everything in place. He's ready to, to for DEFCON 1 to kick off. The Liberators, the Super Mutants are now, you know, emerging onto Appalachia, causing major hell. Um, Eckhart plans to go forward with um, a, a nuclear rain of fire down along China, um, releasing the nuclear silos, all three at the same time. Santiago um, finally made a decision to turn against him. And so in July of 2084, she threatened him and said that they were leaving. In uh, an attempt to to try and flatter her, he attempts multiple methods of uh, playing on her thirst of revenge, uh, playing on her sympathies, a manipulator. But she was already, she was over him. She was tired of his shtick. Before she had a chance to leave, he uh, triggers a knockout agent, knocks her out, and has Modus and the bots carry her out and keeps her in an artificially induced coma from July of 2084 until june of 2086 jeez well i guess it's better than big radiation but but not by much because he needed her there was no if she died she wasn't um there to allow him to access the bunkers if there was no right. general yeah she wouldn't he, be was, a living right. general yeah so he needed he kept her basically in a comatose state basically as a tool um so now june 2086 i would argue that he is a tool but go uh, on. He, he is a very big tool. He's a the ratchet. Tool. He's a complete ratchet set. <laughs> He's an entire box of tools. <laughs> he is a six and seven eighths uh, wrench. <laughs> so June 2086, everything kicks off. Um, you got super mutants. You have the liberators. You've got the scorch beasts and the scorch beast queen. Um, the scorch plague. Everyone dying. DEFCON 1, this is it, kickoff. Um, Santiago's loyalists in the meanwhile, including Major Ragnar, um, <laughs> finally um, rebel. They stage an open revolt. They start trashing the robots. Um, they start to attack Eckhart's troops and loyalists. Um, and... Uh, Major Ragnarskadir ends up reviving Santiago, bringing her out of the coma, and um, she's immediately ready to take up the leadership and depose uh, or kill Eckhart once and for all. Um, that was quite the, quite the revival she had. I know. She, she wakes like, up. She, I've been asleep, but I'm ready to go. In fairness, a Nuka-Cola quantum and a stim pack, and you're good to go in this game. Yeah, so, true, true. <laughs> she, she pops a cold quantum some and she's ready for action. Yeah, some Mentats, <laughs> yeah. little Radex. Um, Eckhart is caught and placed under arrest. Um, just um, 
when it looks like everything is is playing in their favor. Santiago had decided to blow up Modus. Unfortunately, it did not completely destroy him and ended up just severely damaging him, including um, wiping most of his memory uh, and damaging some of his logic circuits. As soon as that happened, uh, Modus turned on all of the human members of the Enclave, deciding to simply kill them all and purge the vault. Uh, so Modus, uh, detonates the weapons lab, kills gentle general Santiago, and, uh, the explosion ended up rupturing a toxin tank that ended up leaking into the air circulation system. Modus seals the bunker and everyone inside, including Thomas Eckhart is killed. Mm -hmm. Is that why the part of the bunker is like busted and you can't go into it? Yeah. Some of the bunker is, 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 yeah. Is structurally unsound, uh, and the parts of it that you can't get into are the parts that were blown up. Yeah, that makes sense. The reason that all of this, uh, which when you listen to the hollow tapes in order, the story is is super compelling. Um, it's like some weird kind of <laughs> intense uh, Soviet uh, era kind of <laughs> soap opera. Um, <laughs> When you first go into the vault, on the floor, underneath the gangway, by the door, is um, a damaged assaultron. And you have to have an intelligence of seven to access the uh, holotape that's stored inside the security recording. If you cannot do that, a lot of the holotapes that you uh, just, you simply won't find you won't be able to access elsewhere. It's the one trigger point that will unlock some of these other things. So you can actually get this full story. Right. So that, by that, it means that a significant fact, probably a majority of the players probably didn't even have access, even if they were willing to look at and read and watch all the, all the content. Well, especially, I mean, you're geared. Most people run like bloodied builds. I don't know anybody running like uh, geek chic out there. Yeah. <laughs> With yeah, but even high, even high intelligence. <laughs> yeah, early on before anyone was doing builds, you were just kind of building out your character the way that you wanted to, like in a traditional Fallout game. You know, like right. oh, yeah. I'll just put a little bit more into intelligence because I like to hack things or you know yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So a lot of limited information that um, it, it it's crazy to me how much uh, from the game design standpoint goes into creating this kind of content and the background and, and making sure that all this stuff is in there only to have so few people actually put it together. But I guess, you know, eventually gets revealed on YouTube videos and podcasts and things, and then people become aware of it, but it's really yeah, I cool. Mean, uh, I know there people have a lot of strong opinions about the game, but when you really, you look into the lore and the way in which, um, the story of fallout 76 is connected to the other games, it becomes really clear that they they put a lot of effort into really creating the lore um, in this game that really ties seamlessly in with the others and continues building on it in in kind of a cool way. Yeah. Now, if we were to consider this um, part of the actual canon lore, then for all intents and purposes, the people in the government and the Enclave who are acting and making decisions, 100% believe the bombs were dropped by China. 
on the U.S. Right. So, and, and that goes against some of the speculation because there's a lot of theories that it was an internal job or that the Enclave triggered it in order to start the war because that's what they wanted or aliens were involved or those kinds of things. Now, it doesn't necessarily tell us who started it, who dropped the first bomb, which created a response and then more bombs. And that, you know, like we don't necessarily know the entire way everything played out, but it at least gives us a little bit more clarity as to, you know, the people who were in power and who probably had the most information about the situation believed that it was China or at least China was involved with bombing the U S yeah, uh, it's uh, the only the the theory, the the predominant theory that a lot of people um, prescribe to is that it was actually Vault Tech, the Vault Tech Corporation that, that somehow triggered it all, um, and that was based on some some throwaway lore that we never actually got from the aborted Fallout game. Um, that was going to be developed before Fallout yeah. Three. Yeah. Um, uh, it had, uh, what was it? It, had, it goes by that. Uh, it's another moment where somebody's going to be yelling at their at their car stereo. Um, uh, what's it called? It was supposed to be Fallout Three, but it never became. And then it was just it just went by that code name. Um, uh, I think this is Fallout in Space. <laughs> it's Fallout in Space. No, I don't remember. Um, yeah, we have to we look can, it up now. We yeah. can Google it. <laughs> Van That's interesting. Oh, sorry. Van Buren. Van Buren. That's it. Yes. Yep. Yes. I was like, it has, it has a name, but like, I can remember it. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. So you were supposed to get more of a story into terms of what happened, uh, with Van Buren, but that ended up being canceled. So you can still find out what some of the storylines were going to be. It depends on whether or not you, you want to look at that as, as canon. Um, in any of the Fallout games that were fully fleshed out and completed, though, they still haven't made it clear who was the one that 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 pushed the first red button, whether it was the United States or China. Right. right. And at the end of the day, does it matter? Yeah, I mean, really, it like the world ended and things are now completely different. Right. And, you know, it would be crazy. And we're going to talk at the end of this month with our, our tier four patrons about uh, predictions for Fallout 5 because we're still a number of years off for sure. But um, there's a lot that could be really good fodder for Fallout 5 storylines and those kinds of things. It would be really interesting to see some sort of like like super American anti-communist faction who still feels like they need to take it to the commies, you know, (laughs) like even though it's been 200 years or something. That could be an interesting character. Somebody, somebody like that. Uh, yeah. I don't know where the next, uh, I'm trying to think of where a good location would be in the United States that we, we haven't done too much of. Yeah. It, you know, I, I have lots of theories. I mean, we've even talked about like, what if we went to Canada, which was probably much less bombed and probably had a, a larger population of survivors. Um, or, or Mexico, or, um, I mean, one other thought would be actually going to China and having fallout, you know, China, Beijing, something like that. Um, then we'd probably get a lot more understanding of what was going on in that side of the world. Um, 
Also, what if there was like a Chinese communist version of Vault-Tec? Like, what if we found out that Vault-Tec was actually working in both places creating vaults and that there were all these Chinese vaults? That would be really cool. That would be interesting. And it would make total sense. If yeah. that was the case, then it would make sense for Vault-Tec to kind of trigger the end game. Yeah. <laughs> in, which yeah. case we, in which case, we can point the figures, uh, the fingers squarely at Stanislas Braun for everything that happens. There you go. There you go. And then we can have some sort of like Chinese equivalent of uh, Mr. House, some sort of like brilliant Chinese inventor who was doing cool stuff over there. And, you know, like, you know, like in, in good uh, superhero comic book story, you have like the equivalent of like, you know, the opposite person on the other side kind of idea. You know what, yep. I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like yeah. You've got like the genius scientist over here, but then you have their counterpart on this side or, or whatever. I think for Fallout 5, uh, the last place that I would love to see in the United States as a region would be the the southeastern United States, like Florida, Louisiana, would be a very interesting worldscape to play around in mm-hmm. uh, between, you know, abandoned, <laughs> abandoned amusement parks, whatever our version of is going to be that would be in Florida. Um yeah. Yeah, the only problem with Florida is that the the landscape is so flat. It's, I mean, it's basically flat. <laughs> There's <laughs> some swamp on the southern part. There's, uh, it gets a little hilly as you get to northern Florida, but for most of Florida, it's just absolutely flat. There's almost no hills. Still, you have a lot of swamps, and and even going into Louisiana, New Orleans is a be kind of yeah, interesting lakes and swampland that could be yeah. a thing. forests i mean there's, def- there's definitely forests there's definitely like tropical trees um the vegetation's interesting in florida because of the density of it because it's subtropical so like if you're up in the northeast you, you're familiar with like the forest of the northeast where it's mostly trees and there's not a whole lot of undergrowth and you kind of can walk through a forest um in florida it's the de- vegetation is way more dense you wouldn't just walk through a forested area because there's so much undergrowth. It'd be very difficult. In fairness, though, think of how much stuff already can kill you in Florida and then picture the stuff irradiated. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, <laughs> giant alligators with multiple heads and all sorts, you know. Water crazy. moccasins from hell. Yeah, <laughs> like water moccasins. Wings that can fly. Yes, snakes and things. <laughs> I mean, heck, there's even like the Florida panther is a thing. And then we have, we even have these little brown bears which is crazy. Like you never see them, but they're, they're out there somewhere. Uh, and there's a lots of pasture land. So you'd have tons of Brahmin and all sorts of other, you know, animals, horses and things that got irradiated. You'd be drinking be orange, cool. a lot of orange juice, a lot of orange juice. <laughs> Fun fact, oranges don't grow naturally in Florida. Lemons do. So they had to graft oranges on who knew? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that was a thing. All right. Well, I, I feel like we've <laughs> wrapped up the episode with talking about lemon tree roots. Um, and Florida. Man, this, do, you, do you have anything else you wanted to add to the end of the, the storyline here? Because I, I, and this was very interesting for me. I, I know that I definitely caught bits and pieces of it as I read through parts of uh, the game and, and watched some of, the, um, some of it play out in the audio logs and things, but I, I didn't catch all of it. No, aside from the fact that the, the one thing that I thought was a real takeaway is you go through the game playing and you you find out the plague and you just assume everything happened 
because of the drops on Appalachia, the, the nuclear bombs and everything. Except it, aside from killing a bunch of people in the first wave, we were well on the way to for civilization to be restarting here before we stepped out. Everything would have been fine until you had this crazy person. <laughs> so the, the scorched plague, the scorched beasts, all of that was his doing. Yeah, it's all Eckert's fault. Yep. Yeah. That that part at least was clear enough. Like I understood that he was the villain and that so much of it was his fault. Yeah. Um uh, but yeah, some of these other details are really interesting. Well thanks. One final oh, thought. Yeah. I think, and I'm really hoping, um, because once you complete the quests from Modus, once you've reconnected him with the Kovac Muldoon platform, um the ending is kind of left open-ended where now he has the ability to kind of reassert his influence externally. Um, now mm. that you've, you've given him an exterior line, it would be interesting if with the wastelanders update, if he becomes more of a threat, I would love to see something happen with that where it yeah. kind of, le- where it kind of comes full circle and what we did um, is having lasting repercussions. Right. I really like the idea of working in accidental, uh, like the protagonist, like your character is accidentally responsible for something terrible, even though you didn't mean to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, and that fact, that was a, that was a storyline I tried to work into my dungeons and dragons podcast back in the day. That was kind of the big reveal at the end was that, um, and, and I let the characters, I let that NPC, like the people playing the characters make the decisions but then it turns out that those very decisions were going to be responsible for so much of the other things that they were going to have to deal with in the future. Um, even though they were not like ill intent. So I, I like that idea of accidental creating bad stuff. I, I mean, it, it's, you have something that has no, no moral subroutines anymore and has complete and unrestricted access <laughs> to controlling robots throughout Appalachia uh, on top of having a really powerful weapons platform that can just kind of rain down an arsenal from space. So <laughs> yeah, it's kinda... I'll be disappointed if, if we don't do something with that. Yeah. Kind of a bad recipe or a yeah. good recipe. If that's what you're looking for. Dun, dun, dun. Speaking of wastelanders, uh, mm-hmm. did you, did you sign up for uh, beta? No, no, I didn't even know that was a thing. I've, I've been out of the loop on that part. Of it. Oh, get on it. Uh, was that just announced? Was that new? It, it was. Yeah. The yeah. inside the vault article was delayed. So everyone was kind of freaking out, wondering what the announcement was going to be. Uh, but private test servers were announced. So if you're on PC, you can sign up to be considered for beta to test Wastelanders. Um, to set expectations, though, when you read it, there's a few criterion going into it. Um, they're only picking a few hundred people to do so. It's a constant up server. So unlike the beta that we had at the start of the game, it's not like it's going to only be accessible for, for certain periods. It'll be completely accessible to you whenever you want to play it. Um, but aside from just picking 200 people, they're, they're looking at individual accounts for people who are signing up. Um, probably that they're they're going to give preferential treatment to people who play the game enough yeah, and fairly frequently to to give them feedback but uh you'll be required to to join in on discussions actually talking to Bethesda 
shaping the game, which I think I'd love to be picked for it. I signed up. That would be kind of cool to be yeah, involved totally. in that, especially that if, awesome. they're, if they're really listening. Um, so yeah, if you get the chance and you're on PC to, to take the opportunity to do that, definitely sign up. But I'm, I'm excited to see what, what Wastelanders is going to bring. Yeah, go to fallout.bethesda.net and you'll see I have the article up right now. Inside the Vault January update. So yeah, very cool. The yeah, this, just, fact, this just came out two days ago. So yeah. The uh the this Tuesday is going to be a massive update uh to bring a lot of that stuff online. And then next Friday, the private test servers will be switched on. So whoever is selected, you'll be finding out this week if you sign up. Um so Very sign cool. up before the 16th if you want to be concerned. Yep, I'm doing it right now. Logging in, signing up. While we talk, this is live, everybody, except you're, not, you're only going to hear it not live. But it's live for us. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I personally am I'm excited about this because the way in which they're doing it, um, we're, we're being rolled forward in time, which I guess is kind of a Fortnite-ish thing. The map is going to evolve. We're going to go from year one into year two. And it's becoming clear that kind of the storyline, which is kind of a neat, uh, it does us justice, is that we spent a year cleaning up Appalachia, dealing with the scorched threat. Um, and now we have people returning to the wasteland now that we've cleaned it up and made it safer. So you've got raiders coming back. You have settlers coming in. Um, you have Mothman cultists reappearing and then hopefully yes. some more kind of cool factions. I would love if they had multiple different Raider factions, kind of like we got in previous games, as opposed to just generic Raiders. You know what I would love too is, is like surprise updates. Yeah. Like, you know, they're telling us about the Raiders, the, uh, settlers and the, the, you know, Mothman cultists, but then to all of a sudden say a month later, have some other group that shows up and then people people are like hey i went over here and i saw these guys doing this crazy thing i've never seen that before and then everyone's like wait a minute yeah that's a thing now you know and so, then like surprise that'd be great well remember too that where we are in the time the enclave is still very active and very powerful it would be amazing if they just kind of show up. One thing that I forgot to tell you, the XO one power armor and the vertebrate blueprints were stored in the white spring bunker and transmitted to the Poseidon oil ring just before communication was severed. So oh, yeah, the, very cool. Yeah, yeah the, the vertebrates uh, and that power armor were transmitted out of the server to the oil ring. It would be yeah. awesome if the enclave just kind of shows up. Right. In that kind of like a be, Fallout 3 kind of way, all of a I sudden. Would, oh, I would love that. I love that part in Fallout 3 when they just emerge and start, you know, setting up checkpoints and you have more dangerous random encounters stumbling across them. Yeah, yeah. Like no, no foreknowledge. Just all of a sudden, you know, vertebrates come, soldiers come out, you know, like, what? What is going on here? This is crazy. Yeah, that would be awesome. You know, my, my big thing is I just hope they, I hope they clean up the code enough to fix some of the, some of the errors. I mean, I know the last time I played the game still crashed on me and I was like, really? The way, uh, come to find out, um, the Wastelanders isn't, uh, just another DLC. It's 
a completely different build of the game. So um, anytime that they've been rolling out patches, they've been actually taking components and code from the newer build and kind of scotch taping it onto the side of ours, which I think is periodically why some of those uh, patches make things worse in some ways rather than better. Um, So it's looking like between uh, private test servers and feedback from you know the 200 or so people that this build should hopefully be a lot stabler and better for the game yeah i have the feeling they know what they need to do the question is can they do it and and i think that's why this update has been delayed is that they they really are trying to get this to work they they want the game to be successful because (laughs) if this game is successful then that's content that they can release year after year after year continuing the story expanding the world and really giving us something to do regularly until you know the next major release comes uh, and there's no reason why they can't do it i mean the elder scrolls online is still cranking along and they don't have anywhere near <laughs> the kind of uh issues and bad press that that this has yeah well um, it, it, it was a little bit lacking in certain types of content in, from the first year or two but yeah. the, at least it was it was built on an engine that was supposed to be used in an mmo and you know like didn't crash on people and that kind of thing so that's that's the uphill, uphill battle with fallout 76 is that just the limitations of the engine and, and if they can work if they can find a way around that or somehow you know rebuild it from underneath us as we continue to play the game then great more power to them i just hope that they've put the uh the right resources into really making that work i do too because i've uh, i still play this all the time i've enjoyed it but uh it it is a problematic it's it's, it's like owning a volkswagen it's it's <laughs> fun to drive but you never know if it's going to start or if it's just going to stall right yeah yeah <laughs> Well, we're on your side, Bethesda. We're hoping that this works out because we would love more content and we would love to be enjoying this game and, you know, giving it absolutely unconditional praises. But until then, we just kind of have to call it as we see it. But from as we talked about in this episode, from a lore perspective, we think you guys are doing some awesome stuff. So keep that up. And we're, we're definitely interested to see what, what comes with Wastelanders. So, yes, uh, so if you guys are listening, thank you so much so far for all the work because we, we do appreciate it. And that's all I have. All right. Well, thanks for joining me again, Ken. This has been awesome. It's always fun to talk with you and yeah, yeah. Uh, get your perspectives on on this game, especially because you, you do spend a lot of time in it and uh, have been continuing to you know build out your podcast uh, in this world, <laughs> which is always <laughs> always fun and exciting to listen to. Some people have said that that uh, some of our storylines are becoming their own personal mental canon. As- to this game you're creating headcanon for other people that's great that's awesome i would love uh, i would love you know it would be really cool bethesda if you were to take some of the characters in chad fallout 76 story and work them in as npcs in the game that would be phenomenal i would be thrilled if in fallout 5 there are just two skeletons with their hands around each other's that you just kind of stumble on that are labeled chad and (laughs) yes yes Oh, that would be so cool. All right. Well, thank you for joining me again. And um, to wrap this up, let everybody know where to get a hold of you and, and to check out your stuff. Yeah. Fallout76podcast.com. If you go there, you will find the link to all of the podcast feeds on your preferred player of choice. 
Um, and then on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we're all at fallout 76 podcast. Very cool. And you guys know how to get a hold of me. Uh, it's in the show notes. Um, and at the end of the show, it goes over all the stuff that you guys can use to get a hold of me. And, um, just one last note, the, uh, the the discord is absolutely exploding with people um all these awesome it people is, are coming yeah. in there and it, it is you know and i know i know this every few episodes or so but we'd love to have you jump in and talk to us about about your thoughts about the lore and all sorts of fun things there's always people in there talking and even voice chatting about all these different topics so we'd love yeah, to hear from to, you guys to throw it out there too um those of you who play fallout 76 pc especially um that have ended up in the robots discord um we've been able to connect with them and, and play with them and uh, they've been hanging out with us in game. And that's been really awesome to be able to, to hang with the fans in real world. Yeah. It's, it's always cool to find a group of people who, you know, you have similarities with and that you want to play games with, even if they're across the internet somewhere. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So, all right, everybody, well, we'll talk to you next week. We'll have another episode coming out and, Oh, and by the way, if you also happen to listen to the elder scrolls lore cast, uh, and you listen to this episode before the big reveal on the 16th, I will be in Las Vegas. I was going to say new Vegas cause I'm in like in fallout mode, but it's not new <laughs> Vegas yet. It's Las Vegas. And I will be there this week. Uh, my wife and I are going to check out the big announcement for Elder Scrolls Online and hobnob with some of the other people over there. So if you happen to be going to that as well, I'll be wearing my robots hat so you'll know you'll be able to find me pretty easily. And um, come up and say hi because I don't know everybody. And, uh, it, you know, you guys can definitely recognize me with my hat on. So um, don't be shy. Come up, say hi. I'd love to meet everybody. So, all right, Ken. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been yeah, thank you awesome as usual. Yeah. All right. Talk to you guys later. See you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Fallout Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please contact us at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or follow us and post some messages to us on Twitter at falloutlorecast. And if you'd like to support the show, tell a friend, or check out the rewards you can get for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. I really appreciate you listening, and I'd love to hear from you soon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.